the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The troubling reason a head of a Christian academy was fired recently. And then, is there such a thing as a safe space for Christians? You are listening to The Common Good. Happy Thursday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on a Thursday afternoon. Aubrey, it's been a great week. We've spent a little bit of time each day with our friends from Food for the Poor. We're not doing that today. But if you want to make a life-changing difference uh, in families, in children, in the Caribbean, and in Latin America who are desperately in need of food, for just a little bit of money, you can do that. So go to 1160hope.com, click on the uh, Food for the Poor banner, or you could text the word THANKS to 41444. We really do love our friends from Food for the Poor and want people to go support them. That's right. We also make jokes about this, but they're located in Miami, and we also would like to go to their studio in Miami sometime. Yes, do one of these campaigns, maybe in the wintertime, maybe in like a February. And uh, yeah, I... I also I always picture anybody who works in Florida as and I know this is obviously not the case, but like when somebody says they work in Miami, I assume like when Anitra left the studio, she was on the beach. Like it, everything <laughs> empties, everything empties onto the beach. <laughs> That's probably right. That's probably accurate. You're not off base. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it would. I, yeah. I think that would be nice. I wish I wish that were the case. All right, Aubrey, let me start today with a disturbing story, but it was one that uh, was running around Christian Twitter, if you will. Uh, the headline says, as headmaster of a classical Christian academy out after racist tweets uncovered, uh, mm-hmm. Thomas Accord, an author and a kind of a well-known podcaster and former headmaster of Sequitur Classical Academy in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, was let go because it was found out that he was writing racing, racist comments online under a pseudonym, Tullius Adland, uh, anchored this denied responsibility for the racist comments under the pseudonym, but he later retracted his denial in a follow-up statement, it, acknowledging that the Tullius Adland account on Twitter was indeed his. Where this became a big deal this week is because his product, his podcast co-host is author Stephen Wolf. You might know Wolf right now has one of the biggest books out called The Case for Christian Nationalism that oh, has whoa. gotten a lot of talk right now. And Wolf stood up for him, said he didn't do this. this and now he's had to backtrack and say mm. what he wrote was terrible. It reminds me a little bit of the stories we heard in the rise and fall of Mars Hill of early on Mark Driscoll writing really misogynistic sexual things under the pseudonym William Wallace, if I remember. Yep. Um, There's a lot of places to go with this story. The first one is this, Aubrey. I think the first thing I thought is this. People tried to come out, people close to him and go, well, that's not really who he is. No, no, no. When you write stuff under a pseudonym in the dark. 
that's actually who you are. Am I yes. right? It, oh, I mean, it's like when people show you who they are, believe them. This that's right. Is, the fact that he took the time to come up with a pseudonym and secretly write like racist remarks online. That's who the dude is. We are who we are in the dark, period. That's like, right. That's who we are. Everything else is facade. We are who we are in the dark. Crazy. This is crazy. Uh, this news report I'm reading from, they wouldn't even post his comments because they were so over-the-top racist. Uh, and the fact that this guy was the headmaster of a classical Christian school in the South. No bueno. That is not good. Aubrey, I want to unpack a little bit of what you said, because that's where a lot of people are going on this is who you are in secret, who you are in the dark, who you are when nobody's looking is actually the correct representation of who you are versus who you yeah. are from a pulpit as a headmaster yeah. under yeah. your actual name at Twitter, places where people know yeah. it's you. Actually, what you're doing in secret is much more of a of a representation of what's going on in your own soul. Yeah. And what's interesting is Tim Keller even links that to our religion. He says your religion is what you do in the dark, too. Hmm. And so the thing the thing that you actually like say about your faith, if that's not who you are in secret, then who you are in secret is really the the thing that you're worshiping or what you're worshiping or whatever. And I you know, it's. That's a hard word for those of us who know ourselves well and know that we are not our best selves in secret in the dark. Then I, that's where it's like, OK, Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Come and transform me even in the hidden places, even the places nobody else sees, even in the places like the people closest to me don't know about. Lord, I need your redemption and your forgiveness and your change there or else it doesn't matter. And I, I think this is a really... Um, we don't talk about this probably enough, honestly, that... That our integrity means who we are inside the house, who we are outside the house, who we are in when nobody else is watching. And that matters deeply because that's the real us. So the person out there listening right now who goes, yeah, you know what? The me in the dark is not a good thing. Like yeah. I'm actually have this kind of. You know, maybe you're not online living under pseudonyms or whatever right. else, which is right. just uh, man, that says something about that guy's soul. It really does. The same way it did Driscoll's when that came out. Yep. The anonymity to be racist or misogynistic or yep. abusive or whatever else. Um, but let's talk to the person out there right now who's going, man, I, I don't want anyone to know what I'm doing in the dark. I don't want to know people to know what's going on in my soul. Yeah. And it is rotting away at my faith and rotting away. Is it as simple as bring it into the light? How do we bring it into the light? We know light is where healing happens. How, yeah. uh, what's the word to people? How do we, what does that process even look like? I think that's a really great question. Uh, like in the work that I've done on overcoming shame, which is a little bit the same, because if you're doing it in the dark, I do think there's a sense that you're ashamed of it or it's an addiction that you're using to self soothe. So you don't feel comfortable like sharing that out loud. Uh, to you don't have to, I don't think necessarily go online for the entire world and be like, my secret life is that I'm addicted to X, Y, Z. But I do think healing begins with who is the safe, trusted person in your life? Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a therapist. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your best friend and saying, hey, look, I, I got to talk to you about something. You're going to judge me for this. I think you might not like me for this, but I got to tell you about this secret thing. Or That's right. I, you may not know this, but I am starting to realize like I might be a, 
alcoholic, workaholic, uh, mm. sex addict. I don't know. It's shopaholic, like whatever it is. And you start with that safe person. And um, hopefully it's a safe person. I think this has to be really important too. It's a safe enough person that's going to get you the help you need and call you to task and not be like, oh, that's not a big deal. You know what I mean? Like you need, because sometimes I think we know the people to go to when we want the yes man or the yes woman. Who's the person who's also going to love us enough to be straight up and honest with us? Hmm. And I and I think you will find that when you're no longer in the dark, God will healing comes in the light, right? Some of that stuff just can't survive once yeah. it's in the light. And so God will do miraculous things if you just begin to to open up and talk about it with safe people. Absolutely. And the Bible never says, keep things in the dark. It yep. never says, oh, that one's going to be a little too much. It's always repent, confess. And like you yep. said, done in community, yep. done with people that we can trust, yep. but things hidden are never going to be life-giving and they're never going to spur you on and they're never going to help you grow. It's why Hebrews says, uh, throw off the sin that so easily entangles, mm. right? Like get rid of it. And uh, to the people in these articles who are saying, oh, he's not actually a racist. We know him. He is. He's a racist. He absolutely is. He and somebody that needs, he is. He needs to sit down with someone the same yeah. way. Just all the people, anything in the dark need to need to see these things brought to light and go, I need help. Mm-hmm. I need healing. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, disturbing, disturbing story there out Man, of a classical Christian school. That is dark. In, Louisiana. Coming up next, Aubrey, Christianity Today, uh, Jen Pollock Michelle said this, there is no such thing as a safe space for Christians. What exactly did she mean by that? We're going to discuss that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Aubrey, I am dealing with a first world problem right now. Can I describe it to you and you tell me if I'm being ridiculous? Oh, yes. I can't wait for this. So yesterday I got like a small cut on my thumb, like the end, like right by my nail right there. And it really hurts. Yes. And so I put, you know, a bandaid on it and uh, it is really inhibiting my ability to text. Like every text right now is like, now that I have a bandaid, a, it's not like reading my thumb to just open up. So yeah. password, but more so I'm trying to text people today. And really you realize how much texting you do during a day. And I'm no. just keep hitting the wrong buttons because I have a band aid right there. And it's really no. bothering Ryan, me. Ryan, this is now has come the time for you to begin voice texting. No, no, this is God's no, I can't invitation. be a voice no, texter. No, no. This is God's invitation for you. God just told me from God did not tell you (laughs) from your wound. God is saying you shall now become a voice texter. I don't even know that this is going to make me sound really old. I'm not sure I know how to voice text. Oh, Brian, 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 Brian. It's literally on your text messages. Like if you're typing a message, you hit that little microphone icon. Oh, I knew that. Yes, yes, yes. Recording. So I think this is you're learning a new skill. Now you're growing a little bit. And and thus says the Lord. You are a you are an enormous voice texter. I am a massive voice texter and voxerer. It's what I like to do. Do you even voice text time to like push buttons? Do you even voice text like if you're just like you're not in the car, you're not somewhere, you're just sitting there. Do you still voice text? Yes. Okay. See, I was I was actually expecting greater sympathy from you in this instead of judgment. No, no, no. I was going to say, you know who you should call? 
the wambulance, but instead I decided. <laughs> you said it. You, no, no, you said it. You can't say I was going to say this. Instead, I decided that thus saith the Lord, it's time for you to learn to voice text. <laughs> you, The insult that you're saying, I was going to say this, but I'm not going to. You actually said. So I see what you did there. The insult was was laid out there while you pretending to be too good for the insult. <laughs> All right. There you go. All right. I'll start voice texting you. I'm going to voice text you after the show going, you're a bad person i'm gonna try it voice texting <laughs> i'm ready for it thank you all right over at christianity today jen uh, pollock michelle who we've had on the show before uh she wrote this there is no such thing as a quote safe space our culture values self-protection she says but true love demands that we move towards each other i think when people first read that or hear that no such thing as a safe space that's all we ever talk about anymore right. like we need safety we what do you think she means by this and are there areas to about this you would push back against yeah my guess is what she's talking about is like we can't we can't uh, create so many safe spaces that we don't put ourselves out there, that we don't allow ourselves to be hurt. The reality is human relationships. We hurt each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think what she's talking about is not building such a bubble around us in the means of safety, not being triggered by our trauma, that kind of thing that we don't act, that we end up quitting actual relationships and something that um, we've talked about on the show before is kind of the amount of people increasing in their isolation. This could be a reason for it. I think where I would push back on Jen and I, I think she would probably agree with me. So I want to be careful on this, but um, there are places where we, some people, and I, I would say particular populations in the church have experienced so much trauma and unsafety that, they need a safe space. And mm. I actually think safe spaces, I actually think the church can and should be a safe space for people who have experienced a lot of hurt and a lot of trauma. And I also think it is, it is actually quite meaningful and wise to, um, for seasons of your life to have space spaces for healing before you decide to put yourself out there. Like I, I actually think that's good, healthy, holy work. Um, again, I, you know, I don't know if we can go, go so far as to say Jesus created safe spaces because he obviously went to like his own death for us. Okay. But we did see times when Jesus is, got away, was alone, hmm. uh, took care of his soul and then went back. And so I, again, I don't think Jen would say not to do that, but so, I hear a lot of critique about safe spaces in churches these days. And I don't know that it's the right thing to be critiquing. Okay. She goes on to say this. Uh, not all relationships are safeguarded with a binding commitment, of course. And sometimes patterns of conflict can indeed suggest that a friendship should end. But perhaps Christian discipleship must now emphasize against the cultural zeitgeist of fragile self-protection, uh, the patience and perseverance that love demands, the work that all relationships engender. I'm not safe to love others if by this I mean that I will never experience pain. But yeah. I can learn to live with less defensiveness, less fear, admitting my sin and taking the steps towards repair. Like that's a that's a mouthful right there. It is hard to take the posture that says 
listen, human relationships are going to bring with them joy and pain. And yeah. to open myself up to people is to open myself up to pain yeah. and to struggle. And But you and I have also talked, we talked yesterday about, or two days ago about the danger of isolationism. Like that can't be the answer is isolation. So uh, maybe how do we set up correct boundaries while still putting ourselves out there in ways that could be dangerous or open us up to pain? Yeah, this is, uh, I wish I had a better, like cleaner answer for people. I, I do think that you can't safeguard yourself from people and mm-hmm. being in relationship with people, like Jen says, means there will be hurt, period. And we want to become people who are less defensive, less afraid, more willing to admit where we hurt other people, right? Mm. And so I think, I guess good boundaries would be use agency in knowing what you've brought to the conflict that's wrong, asking for forgiveness, but then you don't have to let people walk all over you. I realize I'm speaking very generally here, but mm-hmm. I, I still would push against like even Jen talking about the cultural zeitgeist of fragile self-protection. There are people in this world who have been deeply, deeply hurt and have not been allowed to protect themselves. And I think part of wholeness and healing is being able to say, I need to protect myself here. I need to be in a safe space for a season. And therefore I'm not going to put myself out there and enter in until I have like come through this. And I think it is okay for anyone who's feeling fragile and been really, really hurt and has a lot of trauma related to church or related to their race or related to abuse to say, no, Right now, I am choosing fragile self-protection. I understand what she's talking about. Like, it can go too far. But I also, I I don't know. I This is, I'm hearing too much of this rhetoric that people can't be sensitive and take care of themselves in their trauma. And I don't think that's right either. So I'm not being very helpful, Brian. You answer the question. No, I think that's fair. I think there is a fine line here between um, never putting ourselves out there because it will be relationships come with the, uh, the the possibility of pain yeah. but also this type of rhetoric this type of language having been used over the years in abusive situations yeah. in lack yeah. of boundaries right. in well i guess I, in the name of jesus i need to let you do whatever or i right. need to not have right. boundaries that that right. protect me there is some sort of fine line but as we talked about a couple of days ago we're living in a culture of isolation and some of that might mm-hmm. be self-preservation and so uh yeah. we as christians do need to realize we need community but we need healthy community and how do we foster that so an interesting article over there yeah, uh, about safe space all right aubrey i want to next i want to do a story that I've been honestly avoiding doing. It came out about from a conversation over Thanksgiving holiday, a little bit of a debate. And I thought, oh, this would be interesting to talk about on the show. But it's an uncomfortable conversation that I'm not sure I know the answer to. Mm. How's that for a tease about what we're going to talk about next here on The Common Good? AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. We're fully on the march to Christmas now. crazy? It is officially... My son December? finally said, like, now it's December. We can turn on the Christmas music. I'm like, kid, I've been listening to Christmas music for the past three weeks. He's like, but now we can. Now we can. So, now yeah. I'm not embarrassed of right, you, mom. Exactly. So, All right, Aubrey, I want to jump into a story that I had a conversation with somebody about just shooting the breeze the other day. We saw this story online, and I don't know 
how to process it. Okay. So I'm going to tell you the story. Okay. And let's just talk it out. These are some of my most fun segments where we just talk these things out without knowing where we're going to end up. All right. Have I, have I scared you? Hopefully we don't put our feet in our mouths, foot in our mouths. Yeah. You scared me. You've scared me, but here we go. I'm ready for it. So, uh, last week, the university of Florida, pulled a scholarship offer it gave to one of the nation's top high school quarterback recruits after a video of him using the N-word while singing along to lyrics in a rap song surfaced. Uh, the quarterback said he fully accepts the consequences for his actions and respects that, but doesn't know, you know, what's next, what's coming. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who didn't pick up on the story, I could give you more. He, like a lot of our youth do these days, he shot a video of himself by himself in his car singing along to lyrics to a rap song. And posted it or something. And he posted it on yeah. wherever they post Instagram, TikTok, wherever, wherever the else. kids these days, post wherever them. the kids yeah. these days ha- uh, do this in this rap song, as is in a lot of hip hop songs and rap music was the use of the N word. And he rapped the song. And he Ugh. so he was videoed saying the N word, uh, not to anybody, but still saying it. So this has conjured up a big debate right I'm now. Sure and this is has. the conversation because I could see both sides of this. So here's let me lay it out to you. Okay. I think we can categorically agree that the use of the N-word, the very fact that we have to say it as the N-word as opposed to actually saying the word, yeah. it's one of the worst words we have. Right. And Right. And is not okay to be said. Like, I don't, I, that's what, if your takeaway from this is Brian and Aubrey don't really think the N word is a big deal, that's not the takeaway here. Yeah. We think it's a horrific word with a history that needs to be thrown away and a word that just needs to be done away with. But here's where this gets complicated. He was singing a song that had the N word in it that you can probably get on Spotify, that right. you can get right. on. Wherever it is, you get your music. He clearly downloaded this music from somewhere. He wasn't saying this to another person. He was rapping it in his car again on a song that uses it. So a lot of people are going, this feels like an overreaction. So you've got this word that is awful, right? Yeah. That when somebody uses it towards another person is completely out of bounds. Yeah. But a song that he could easily purchase uses it. Lots of lyrics, lots of songs use this. And yet there's these songs still exist. We still allow these songs to exist out there. But yet we punish the kid for singing the song. Do you understand the the tension I was feeling as discussing this with somebody? What do we do when we're a culture that's okay with people producing stuff using the word? But then giving consequences to somebody who sings that song to and posts it. Yeah. And I think what's layered about it, Brian, like just to add another layer to it, I think um, it also depends on who's using the word and people may or may not disagree with me on agree with me on that. But like uh, if. Uh, (laughs) if someone in the community is using the word, I feel like that's still different than a white person using the word. Uh, And so I can see why that adds a layer of um, complication to this. Right. I still think it should never be used. It, we should definitely be going against media 
musicians, et cetera, who continue to like put that stuff out into the world. I do think ultimately that's probably like bottom line, the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I can also see from like, I can see both sides. Like you're saying, Brian, like, is this a, are we targeting the wrong quote unquote villain in this? Yeah. I think is the question. Yeah. Yeah. Are they both villains? <laughs> or are they both right. uh, wrong right. in this? It made right. me think of also, so again, Kyrie Irving, right? Do you remember the name Kyrie Irving? Well-known yeah, basketball player for the Brooklyn yeah, Nets. He just came Connected back from Kanye suspension. This stuff. Yeah. So he believes completely screwy stuff. He believes the earth is flat. He's he missed all of last year. Me, yeah. He missed all of last year because of his stance on the vaccine. And recently, Kyrie Irving has this problem where he thinks he's smarter than everybody, right? And so uh, he liked and kind of promoted a video about, you know, black Islam. And it's like this whole, if you read about it, it just goes crazy. Where this goes Mm -hmm. becomes very anti-Semitic, very this and that. And it needs to be done away with and rejected, right? So he, Kyrie Irving, promoted this video and he said, uh, you know, kind of a, a, an approval of it. And he got huge backlash, got suspended, had to apologize. But the elephant in the room was that that video still sits on Amazon and is still right. able to be accessed yes. by anybody yeah. at yeah. any time. And so you've got the idea of free speech, but yet you still have this idea that, wait a minute, so people who consume it and say you should watch this are going to get in trouble, but we as but a culture that, are still okay yeah. with it existing on these platforms from which people are making money. I guess here's where I struggle and we'll end here. I don't know the right answer yeah. because you don't want to get into this thing where like you can't produce that, but I don't know. It felt even the Kyrie Irving thing where I categorically disagree with what he was promoting. Yes. You could still access that video on a lot of different platforms, that documentary. I think that's a really good point, Brian. And I do think this, like, do we blame the 17 year old for singing the song that like Spotify probably all the high school students are listening to is super popular and Spotify continues to put out there. Mm -hmm. Or do we say, okay, Okay, I mean, I don't know where it starts. Spotify, music label, musician. Like, do we go that far back? Netflix. Like, if if we all have a problem with Kyrie Irving celebrating this video, which we do. Oh, it's a terrible at, message. At yes. At what point do we say to Netflix, it can't be on anymore? But then, I mean, I think this is where we're all sort of trying to figure out these lines. Then what's free speech and what's cancel right. culture and what? Like, so I hear you that this is this is complicated and. uh and where does the where does the guilt lie or where does the effort to change begin? I don't know that we totally know the solution as you and I are just sitting here trying to figure it out. But I do think that's a really, really, really good question you're asking. Like, is it OK that like it's as readily as accessible as it is if we're all up in arms about it? Yeah. If we're going to suspend, say, Kyrie Irving for this movie, or this kid for but yeah. right now, I can go watch that movie if I have the right, right subscription. Right, right. I don't know the right answer. And that's why I wanted to talk about it, because I don't want to give you the answer. Like, I want you to feel that dissonance out there wrestle now with it. Yeah. as parents, as Christians, as just people. I think the word also has to be we have to be. We have to watch out for what's out there, Uh, you know, as we're reading things about things being let back on Twitter and whatever else. 
I don't know what to think of that with First Amendment rights and all this stuff. But what I do know is Mm -hmm. there's a lot of really, really, really unhealthy stuff out there that our Mm -hmm. kids have access to. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And whether it be music documentaries, whatever else. And we just have mm-hmm. to know. Okay. I, I like that. I, we did not give an answer because I don't have an answer. There's a uh, lot to wrestle to with. That there one. is. Yeah. But there is a lot to wrestle with right there. Okay. Next Kevin, uh, Dr. Kevin M. Young, not Kevin M. D. Young, Young. not right. Kevin D. Young. He wrote something on Twitter that, uh, about churches and the early church versus the current church that I want to read to you and see if you agree with it and uh, why does it matter. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. We haven't said this in a while, Aubrey, but if people know of uh, are around the show for a little while, they know that we are pastors, but also that we love the church. Yeah, we want the church to do well, and uh, we want it to be a shining light in darkness. We want it to be a city on a hill. We want it to be what it's supposed to be, and we lament and we struggle with when it's not. Okay, absolutely, that's right. So we also part of that is wrestling with what is the church even supposed to be about? What is, um, you know, what's the point of church? So I want to get in that with a tweet that I saw the other day. This is a pastor named Dr. Kevin M. Young. I have to be honest. When I first saw this, I thought he was Kevin D. Young, but he is not who, Kevin M. Young. People may not know who you're talking about. Kevin D. Young is a gospel coalition guy. Kevin M. Yeah. Young is someone else. Yes, he's a Twitter handle says pastor, avid lifter, coach, uh, he has his doctorate in the early church and ancient faith formation. Now, in all fairness, he calls himself post evangelical. Uh, (laughs) So here you go. That's a lot of titles in a Twitter bio right there. It's hilarious. His whole. Yeah, he's all about like being like super athletic. Yeah, this is so funny. Okay. Uh that's funny. Jacked theology. He is all about lifting. I'll tell you what. Okay. But I found what he wrote to be um, to be something worth thinking about. So here's what he says. The unstated order that most current churches require. So this could be a straw man. You might disagree with it, but this is yeah. what he says. The unstated order most churches require. Believe, behave, belong. What we see in the Bible and early church, belong, believe, behave. And he says the ramifications of each cannot be overstated. So he says currently what we say in our churches, believe first, then behave, then belong to the community. He claims in the early church, it was belong, then believe, then behave. Before we get into what he says, the enormous ramifications of that, lots of B words there, Aubrey. Do you agree with his assessment? Where do you think he has it right? And where might you think he has it wrong? One thing we've always said at at Renewal is that people, um, once they feel like they belong, then they begin to converting to belief. So I think that's actually very true anecdotally. We've seen it a lot at Renewal Church. I um, And I think that's the right like heart. Like we want people to feel belonging, welcome. We want to see them convert to faith in Jesus. And then behavior follows from that, right? Follows from identity. Like I think that's the right order. So yes, yes, yes. And I think that helps us have like uh, a little more porous boundaries when we think about who's in, who's out, and and kind of the long term of what it means to see people converted towards Christ and turns towards Christ. This is kind of like... um 
Rick Richardson's, you know, those of us who are in the church, we're, we're, what is it? Spiritual guides, not traveling salesmen. Right. Hmm. Um, hmm. Where, where, here's where I think he's wrong. Cause I do think he's actually wrong about a couple of things. All right. I'm ready. Uh, I, I can't say if it's the unstated order most churches require. I would say my friends that are pastors would totally agree with him that it's belong, believe, behave. What I was taught in grad school at Wheaton College was belong, believe, behave. Hmm. So I don't, I, now, there are probably a lot of churches where the order is different. So I think that's fair. I also am not sure that this is what we see in the early church, because in the early church, we saw radical conversions. For instance, Paul, who did not belong, definitely didn't behave, but he believed in that moment when he met Jesus and then everything changed. And I would say he probably mm. went from belief to behavior to belonging, frankly. Mm, now, yeah. you could maybe debate the last two, but belief came first. And so I, I think like, let's also, while I understand the heart of this, and I think there's some real truth to it, especially about who's in, who's out. Like, I don't like when we say like only the people who X, Y, Z are in the church. Um, I do think let's not put God in a box. Like there are mm. people who, for instance, the first time I walked into a church was the first time I heard the gospel was the first time I responded to a gospel. I didn't, be I didn't belong there. There was no like, these are my people. Now it was like, no, I heard the gospel and I responded like the Holy Spirit used that period. So for me, belief came first. So I think let's not put quote unquote an order on how people are converted to Christ. God can do whatever God wants to do. And there are miraculous gospel transformations all the time. Simultaneously, let's hold on to, I think the heart of what he's talking about is let's be churches that welcome people wherever they are on the journey and see how God might move them towards Christ in community. Yeah, that's well put. So if he's right, that belonging in his words should come before belief. What is yeah. that? actually look like? Because also undergirding this is that kind of debate. Who's the church for? We had the seeker sensitive model, right? Coming out of Willow Creek yeah. that, that we are for the non-Christian. And, and then there was a lot of pushback, especially in certain camps that no, the church is for the Christian. That's the community. Yeah. But we want to be sensitive to those who aren't believers. We want to see them come to faith. Uh, so, uh, you know, undergirding this, I think a little bit is what's the purpose of the church. Yeah. Um, but if he's right, that belonging should pre uh, become before mm -hmm. belief. What does it even look like mm -hmm. to help people belong in a church who don't claim to believe what that church believes? Here's an example that I can give. I can only speak anecdotally here, but um, we have a group that meets on Sunday night and uh, there's a couple of people in there uh, that are totally deconstructing their faith or some are just not Christians. Mm -hmm. And over the past couple years, what we found is a few people in particular have felt more and more safe in the group. Oh, these are trustworthy people, even though they're Christians. They're not the box that I put them in. I feel safe here. I belong here. This particular person has gotten more involved in church on like never came to church, would say, uh, I don't go to church. I'm not necessarily Christian, but just started coming to church on Sunday mornings, then began mm. to serve on Sunday mornings on a team past few weeks has begun to invite their family and friends to church. And so we are literally watching belonging move to belief, to behavior. Oh, and it's a, it's a long game, right? This is over the course of several years, but um, it is wild and incredible 
to watch what the Holy Spirit is doing. That started with belonging. And so I think that's it. And again, going back to our conversation about safe space, you can create safe space for people to enter into your church, into conversations, into life-on-life discipleship, and just watch as God moves with power, converting people's hearts towards him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's literally just like relational life together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where do you think the behave comes in here? Right. Cause churches, we talk a lot about, you know, start, uh, uh, don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. Where do we expect people to start? Where do we expect to start seeing life change? Is it as people are belonging or does that have to come after belief? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm always hesitant to be like, here's the right order. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes I think people start acting like Christians and doing Christian things without even realize that they're following Jesus. And then the Holy spirit just like ignites. I think if we're going to, I mean, if we're going to parse it apart, no one does good without the Holy spirit inside of them moving. Right. And so when does that begin to happen? Is it when you say a prayer? Is it when you join a community? Is it when you get baptized? Is it when you invite the Holy Spirit in your heart? I don't know. Like, Mm. I just know as people move towards Jesus from that place of being with Christ, behavior does flow. And I, again, I, I'm not, I might sound loosey goosey here. No, I think you're right. I just, I don't think God is legalistic and I don't think God is like, Oh, one, two, three. Like, I think the mystery of the way God woos people to himself is is different for all kinds of people and communities. And but we know as God does it and as we can be churches that are welcoming people who are in different places in their walk with Jesus, whether they're even on a walk with Jesus yet or not. That's the kind of church where God does mighty, miraculous things. See you tomorrow, Brian, and I'll be back right here from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.